Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, after today, we will only say that in this series two more times. So we are getting very close to the end of our study of this amazing epistle. Ephesians chapter 6, we'll be looking today at three verses which will teach us about prayer. The title is Praying Faithfully. Praying Faithfully. Ephesians chapter 6, let me read verses 18, 19, and 20. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints, and pray on my behalf, that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. I'm going to begin today with a little bit of a thought experiment. And I wonder if you can be sincere with your own heart about this. Formulate an answer to this question. In what areas of your Christianity would you like to become more faithful? What areas would you identify in your Christianity that you think, I I need to up my game in faithfulness. Now, that's the nice way to ask it. Let me ask the other way, the the flip side of that. What are the weakest parts of your walk with Christ? How would you answer, what are the weakest parts of your walk with Christ? I think if I looked at the top five of everyone's list, my suspicion is that on all of our lists, in those top five at least, would be, Prayer and evangelism. In fact, if you're a preacher and you want to generate immediate and universal conviction, just preach on prayer or preach on evangelism, and everyone will say, oh, you can just see the shoulders kind of wilt, like, yeah, I need to do better and need to try harder at that. I find it interesting, as Paul begins to conclude, he's on the off-ramp now of Ephesians. As he begins to conclude his letter, He takes aim at both of these subjects in a single sentence in these three verses, prayer and evangelism. I hope you can join me as we finish this passage in being um, communally affected and convicted by what Paul is about to tell us. Over the past few weeks, we've been looking at Paul's words very closely, his description of the believer's armor, the believer's spiritual warfare in which every believer finds himself in a battle with demons and with Satan. And after this discussion of our cosmic battle around us against Satan, against his demonic forces and henchmen, he turns our hearts and attentions from around us where demons and Satan are to upward where God is, addresses our access to him personally through prayer. I don't think the apostle means for us to think about his words on prayer in a way that's disconnected from the warfare in which we are engaged. So I can only do it for a couple more weeks. So can I go back to my my mentor, Dr. Honer, who has been guiding us through his whole study in his exceptional um, commentary on Ephesians. In fact, let me again say it is worth the price and it's expensive. Dr. Honer says this, 
The point of this is that prayer is for the purpose of maintaining alertness. Prayer causes alertness, and alertness keeps believers in prayer. If they are not alert, they do not see the dangers and thus see no need to pray. With the enemy making his assaults, believers are to be enveloped with prayer, and to this end, they are continuing to be alert with all persistence and petition, end quote. In other words, the nature of our battle with supernatural forces demands that we have supernatural engagement with God to find supernatural enablement. The apostle uses two participles, if you want to be technical, in tandem of praying and keeping alert here in the beginning. Pray, keep alert. It shows the importance. Make sure you're praying and make sure you're staying alert in that praying. Because the devil is ever on the attack, you need to be prayerful about keeping this armor maintained and on your soul. Demons are constantly luring and tempting us. Our enemy is strategic and tactical. And this is a way of saying, we need God's power. That's why the paragraph began like it did back in chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong... In the Lord and in the might, the strength of Him, His might. Those are the bookends of this section. Be strong in the Lord, and then he finishes that by praying, which is how you can be strong in the Lord. Clint Arnold says, Prayer is the means by which believers depend on the Lord and request His empowerment for themselves and others in the body of Christ, end quote. And one of my favorite Puritan writers, John Flavel, says, The devil is aware that one hour of close fellowship, hearty converse, conversation with God in prayer, is able to pull down what the devil has been contriving and building many a year, end quote. He goes on in that section to say, Nothing makes the devil more fearful than when a Christian prays. Paul's logic to talk about prayer right after the discussion on the believer's armor is consistent with his understanding of our effort and God's sustaining power. Prayer is important. And I don't do enough of it. And when I do it, I don't do it well enough. I want to learn. I want to grow in my own access to God and alertness in it. When I was in seminary, I, uh, one of my favorite professors was Dr. Jim Roskup, who is now with the Lord. Um, he was so dear. He was the one, I think I've told you before, who about 20 years after my mom had passed away and after I was out of seminary, he saw me at a shepherd's conference and said, Rich, and he never called me Rick. I told him a hundred times, I go by Rick and you know, thanks, Rich. Okay, so, um, so I, was, I was delighted to be rich. But he saw me across the, Rich, how's your mom? It kind of struck me. I said, well, what do you mean? He says, well, we were, we were praying for, for her cancer, and I've, I've been praying for her ever since. And I said, well, she's with the Lord. He says, then I'll stop praying for her. <laughs> he had been praying for my mom for 20 years. And when he saw me, he was reminded of it. He offered a class my first semester in seminary, which was a class that made a mark on my life. It was a class, it was an elective class, 
This elective, by the way, became a required class in the master's seminary moving forward after this first semester. It was on prayer. And we had a lot of books to read and papers to write. But our assignment was to pray every day for an hour. I learned a lot about prayer, by that, uh, my own prayer especially, by that attempted exercise. We had to give a report every week of, of our times in prayer with the Lord. The first night, I lived in Burbank. I went on to Burbank High School, and I thought, this is going to be good. I got an hour. I'm going to walk for an hour, get some steps in, get some exercise, and I'll pray. And was crushed and humbled that halfway around the track, I had exhausted my prayer list. I learned a lot that semester about prayer. Well, that began a study that Dr. Roskup began that ended up being, I don't know how many thousands of pages, a four-volume set that is one of the most treasured books on my bookshelf. Four volumes in which Dr. Roskup goes through every prayer and every mention of prayer in the whole Bible and comments on it. It is worth your pennies. I read his section on Ephesians 6, and I almost wanted to stand up here and just read it to you and sit down. Instead, I'll just give you a paragraph. He says, prayer is not a seventh description of armor. It is the saturating element to be crucially at work in every aspect of the believer's armor to all effective spiritual warfare and to the whole Christian life. Prayer is not a new section after the armor, but a strategic part all the parts of the whole armor play in the warrior of God's life, end quote. So in these three simple and short verses, as Paul is about to sign the letter and send it off to Ephesus, it opens up a whole world of prayer to us. So we're going to study that together. And you hear me saying this often, and, and I think you, you'd be tempted to roll your eyes, but you say this, this could be a six-week series. This could be a six-month series just on these three verses. They are that rich. They are that dense with meaning and application, but I think it is valuable for us to see them all in one sentence as they come to us. Six characteristics of praying faithfully. Six characteristics of praying faithfully. The first is in verse 18 at the very first phrase, pray comprehensively. Pray comprehensively. Verse 18, with all prayer and all petition or petition. Notice that the adjective all shows up four times. Listen with, with a keen ear. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. We'll consider these emphases as we go, but... Paul has all on the brain. He is thinking comprehensively. Look at that first phrase, with all prayer and with all petition. You could translate pos, which is the Greek word for all. You can translate that every. Can translate that every. So you could say, Paul is saying, with every prayer and every petition, every request. Prayer is... Simply talking to God. But prayer, if you look at God's word, includes so many expressions and so many dimensions. For example, there are prayers of blessing. There are prayers of praising. Some of the songs we sing, I hope you notice, are 
prayers. They're talking to God. Prayers of thanking God. Prayers of confessing our sin to God. Prayers of requesting what we need and want from God. Prayers of interceding for others to God. Prayers of asking questions. Prayers of committing ourselves newly to God. You say, well, what's Paul talking about here? I think that's why he says with all prayer, with every prayer, with every expression of prayer, all of these combined, we are to pray in every way comprehensively for everything. Now, in the context, why would, we, why would he say that? Because the enemy is so powerful, because the enemy is so clever, we have a critical need to engage these attacks of our enemy with supernatural power which is only accessed from God, which is why he says, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. At the end of this section, pray. Remember the context in verse 13. This is the evil day. These are are dark hours and dark seasons and dark moments. And if we're not in them now, how do I say this? Just buckle up because they're coming. Consequently, our prayers should seek divine assistance in each of the areas of the spiritual warfare that he's just described. Truth, the belt of truth. I mean, do you pray that the Lord would saturate your mind and give you eyes and lenses to see the world through what is true and not what is false? Righteousness. Do you ask God for the intellectual ability and capacity to understand the amazing the amazing reality that Christ's righteousness has been given to you in the gospel? And do you pray for your exercise to pursue being righteous and holy? Do you pray about the good news, the gospel of peace, that you're thankful that God has given us peace with Him and you're pursuing having peace with others? Shield of faith. Do you pray for faith? Remember the father of the demon-possessed girl? Lord, I believe, but what? Help my unbelief. I can identify with that. Can you? Have you ever have you ever felt like your faith is like that spaghetti colander? Is that the right word, honey? Colander? That has the holes in it? Okay, thank you. Um, sometimes I feel like my faith is like that. It just kind of drains out. Do you pray for faith? Do you pray? the helmet of salvation, that you understand and grasp and think through the grace and gift of God's salvation in the right ways? And do you pray for illumination and application of your understanding of the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God? All of these elements are, he finishes by saying, pray with every prayer. comprehensive nature of praying is captured well in Paul's words to the Philippians in Philippians 4, 6 when he says the familiar words, be anxious for nothing, which is the opposite side of saying don't worry about anything. But in, what's the word, you know? Everything, comprehensive. In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In everything. In every prayer, Paul says to the Ephesians. That's big things and small things, macro things and micro things, international things and personal things, profound things and mundane 
things should occupy our prayers. Are you praying for peace between Russia and Ukraine? Are you praying for peace between Israel and Gaza? Are you praying for peace between China and Taiwan? Are you praying macro things? Are you praying for your family? Are you praying for your heart? But what about this? You're washing clothes, and you have the experience that Kim and I affectionately call sock shy, where you have a sock, and you're one sock shy of a pair. And months later, you put a shirt on, and you go, oh, there's that sock. See, this sock is missing. Is it appropriate to say, Lord, would you help me find this sock? Now, some would say, no. Doesn't that fall under the category of everything and every prayer? In other words, everything we experience in life, everything we experience in life should be experienced with God in communication with God so that He knows, we know, He cares about the profound and the mundane. Because He does. Corey ten Boom has famously said, any concern too small to be turned into a prayer is too small then to be made into a burden. That's excellent. And our friend Martin Luther describes prayer like this. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. In other words, prayer is to the Christian what breathing is to your body. It just has to happen. We pray comprehensively about and for and with and in everything. Secondly, we pray perpetually, not only about everything, but all the time. He says, in every prayer and every request, pray at all times in the Spirit. This, this phrase is extraordinary. It's extraordinary. Listen to it again. Pray all the time. You say, wait a minute, time out. I got to work. I got to go to school. I got to change diapers. I have to watch Chiefs games. I mean, how do I? And that's another thing about, but we'll talk about that prayer later. Um, it reminds you of 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, right? Where Paul says, pray without ceasing. It's the same thing. Pray at all times. Pray without stopping. Pray without ceasing. Now, this is not as the blind and bleeding Pharisees. This is a group of first century Pharisees who wanted to be known as those who prayed a lot and prayed all the time. So they put blindfolds on their eyes and walk around running into things on purpose so the people would see how holy they were. That's not what this is talking about because you can pray without closing your eyes. And if you pray in the car, may I beg you to keep your eyes open. <laughs> pray at all times. Pray without ceasing. That, that's a tall order. What does it mean and how can we do it? If that's not complicated enough, we pray at all times in the Spirit. I think Paul is saying... Simply this, that we are to be in const the constant disposition of seeking guidance from the Holy Spirit by our access to Him in prayer. Because Jesus gave Him to us in John 14 and John 16. He's always with us. 
It's being in communication with him. A cursory survey of the Bible shows people praying in every circumstance and at every time imaginable. Can I, can I borrow from Dr. Roskep again? I should have just read you his chapter. He says, the Bible is replete with illustrations of engaging in prayer at every conceivable time. And he gives verse references for all these. We see people praying in the evening, in the morning, and at noon in Psalm 55. Seven times a day in Psalm 119, 164. Midnight, Psalm 119, 62. Before the crack of dawn in 119, 47. And then Mark 135. People praying day and night, Psalm 22. All night, Luke 6, 12. At frequent intervals, Luke 5, 16. For three weeks at a time, constantly in Daniel 10, 2 and 3. Prayer that lasted 10 days in Acts 1. Keeping up, keeping it up in prayer, keeping up in prayer at all times, providing prayer, the prayer be vital, can have a profound bearing on how God's soldiers use every aspect of the armor, Dr. Roscoe says. This should be considered as a privilege and a joy and not a duty. But we, we, we make it feel that way, don't we? I mean, it's, it, how easy is it? And have any of you experienced, don't raise your hand, we start talking about prayer, Paul talks about prayer, and you go, I'm done. I'm guilty. Not enough. Not, not, not well enough. Not, not uh, explicit enough. We shouldn't be praying out of guilt. That's not how relationships work. I mean, I don't come home in the afternoon and sit down. Kim's sitting on her chair and I'm sitting across on the couch. And I say, well, I guess I have to talk to you now. What do you want to talk about? No, it's you want to. Ian e. Bounds says, prayer should be regarded as should not be regarded as a duty which must be performed, but as a privilege to be enjoyed and a rare delight that is always revealing some new beauty. So how do we pray with delight? How do we pray all the time? It's that spiritual awareness and alertness and consciousness of his presence and interaction with him. I'm going to give you a practical suggestion that may seem silly, it may seem trite, but I don't mean it to be silly and I don't mean it to be trite. Try praying without saying amen. You say, how do I close in prayer? Why do you close in prayer? Now, if you're praying with someone and you need a terminus, I understand that. I prayed earlier. We'll pray at the end of the service. There, there, there are good reasons to pray with an amen, but there are good reasons to pray without the amen. How about instead say, thank you for giving me access to you in Jesus. I'll be back soon. I'll be back in a few minutes. I'll check in with you in, in just a minute. I'll be right back. That's how we would talk to someone we're in contact with, whether present with. He's ever present with us. No, it's not wrong to say amen. I don't want to get the email. Sure, you can say, so be it, amen. But try not. It's almost like we're saying, I'm done with you, amen. Done with this moment. How, how about just trying, 
I'll be back in a few. And I mean that. Where you're keeping that line of communication, even in your mind, open between you and the Lord. Pray perpetually. Number three, pray attentively. It's kind of the heart of the verse. Verse 18, and with this in perspective, this is your view, this is your disposition. Be on the alert. Pay attention. With all perseverance, which means you, you're steady at working at this, you're always working at this, you're persevering and enduring in it, and petition, those are the requests for all the saints. This is the alertness that Dr. Honer referenced earlier. The idea here is to stay awake and aware, to be watchful in prayer. I think this, is, this means <laughs> do whatever you do, you can do, to remember and be alert in prayer. There was a, I was a junior high pastor, and then there was a girl named Erica who uh, I noticed for a couple weeks that she, she just had stuff written all over her hands. And my first thought was, grow up, quit writing on your hands. I mean, you're in junior high. And then I came in contact with her before we were leaving one night, and I said, Erica, what's on your hands? And she said, well, these are things and people I'm praying for, and I want to have them close to my attention. So I write them on my hands so that I can remember. And I went from judgmental to convicted very fast. Do whatever you can do to stay alert to pray and to stay alert in prayer. Last summer, I was watching a documentary um, of Navy SEALs training. It was fascinating. I mean, what they go through in their last lap of training is it's inhumane. Um, and the last week is their final test, and they all want to pass this test to be considered as a SEAL. This test includes, I believe it was four or five days of an assignment in which they, they couldn't sleep all night. They, they just kept at it. They, they, they were going, going, going. No sleep. They were so tired and so tempted to fall asleep that they reached for their little coffee packets and their MREs. And instead of making coffee out of it, they would rub them in their hands and then rub that coffee in their eyes to keep their eyes open. They were so desperate to stay awake, they would do almost anything. And that's a great picture. What are, what are our means of grace, our contrivances, as Jonathan Edwards talks about? What do we contrive to help ourselves be alert to pray and alert in prayer? Let me combine some of these together. Mark chapter 14, you know, you, you knew this was coming. Mark 14, the Garden of Gethsemane, they came to a place. Jesus said to his disciples, sit here until I have prayed. And he took Peter and James and John and began to be very distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and be alert. Keep watch. He went a little further and fell to the ground, began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass him by. And he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will be done. And he came and he found 
them sleeping. And he said to Peter, this is, this is convicting. Simon, are you asleep? It's interesting, he had already changed his name to Peter. He refers back to Simon here. Simon, are you, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch, pray, for one hour? This is why that assignment that Dr. Roscoe gave us was to pray for one hour a day. Jesus is basically saying, you couldn't even pray an hour. That's not a long time. Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit spirit is willing, but what? The flesh is, it's weak. He went away again and prayed, saying the same words. He came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. They did not know what to answer him. He came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? So he comes back the third time, and they fell asleep again. It's enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Now, that should be convicting, but also encouraging that the Lord's own disciples who knew him in the flesh struggled with persistence and keeping alert in prayer. And so do we. Keep alert. Pray with persistence, with endurance. And look what it says. Pray for all the saints. This involves personal care and intentional management. Do you have a prayer list? Do you remember to pray what people ask you to pray for? Do you pray for the request that you ask for and that you are given even by volunteering? No one, by the way, when it says pray for all the saints, no one can pray for the needs of every saint, but you can be faithful to pray what you know about. This is especially true because we're in the foxhole in the trenches of warfare with the believers around us, and we ought to be praying for their protection with the armor, their victory against the enemy, their their, uh, conquering and battle against temptation, just like we're praying for ourselves in the application of the armor. Praying alertly, we're praying for those around. The great Christian fraud is telling someone that you'll pray for them, and then not. If someone asks you, unburdens themselves, tells you of something they would ask you to pray for, and you're standing in the church, are you? I think we're all okay watching you have your hand on a shoulder and just pray right here, pray right then, pray right now. Are, are you okay praying in a restaurant for someone? Oh no, the waitress might be a fit. What's more important in that moment? I have prayed many times in a restaurant, and waitresses and waiters kind of know the drill. They'll, they'll come back. Do you pray? Do you have an organized way of remembering what to pray for? Oh, do you get, do you get those emails with the prayer request from a care group and delete them before you read them? Missionary newsletters, yeah, I'll read that later, whatever, when they're saying, please pray for us. What a privilege, what a gift. We get to talk to God about 
these things, and we will talk to God about what's most important to us. So your prayer is kind of a determiner of your own heart, and my heart as well. Number four, pray personally. After talking about pray for each other, you should pray. You should pray in every way, all the time. Paul says, and on my behalf. You'll notice in the New American Standard, that little word pray is in italics. It's not in the original. He said, pray for one another. Pray for all the saints and me too. And me too. He carries the verb right into himself. This is refreshing to me. The bold, confident apostle Paul asked for prayer. He said the same thing in Colossians about himself and his missionary team. Colossians 4 verse 3, praying at the same time for us as well. Pray for us. I think the application is twofold. First, following Paul's example means that we, we should be asking for prayer. If Paul did, so should we. It's a great example. Why don't we ask for prayer for things? Well, sometimes we're embarrassed or we, we're proud. I'll never forget. Or, or another possibility is we, we think people don't care. I remember talking to a couple who told us after several months that they were really troubled and we pray for them now. And we said, why? And said, well, because we, we had a miscarriage a few months ago and we are just overwhelmed with sadness. And of course, we'll pray for you. But our, our hearts couldn't be retained from saying, why didn't you tell us then? And they said, well, we didn't want to burden anyone and we didn't think anyone cared as much as we did. Can we care for each other? Can we carry each other's burdens? Can we care enough to pray? It's the second application, and that's being faithful to pray for those who request it. Paul said, pray for me. You think the Ephesians said, we're going to talk to God about Paul, our old pastor. Yes. Pray comprehensively, pray perpetually, pray attentively, pray personally. Number five, pray specifically. Pray specifically. Look, if your child says when they're four years old, Lord, we pray that you will bless all the missionaries in the world, praise God for that prayer. <laughs> but that not be, ought not be an adult's prayer. We can have a few more specifics than that. So Paul says, pray for me. And before they can say, what do you want us to pray? He answers that. That utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth. That's a prayer for clarity. Pray that when I talk, and we'll see it's about the gospel in a minute, that I'm clear to make known with boldness, there's the attitude, the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Listen to the parallel in Colossians 4. I began reading it a minute ago. Let me finish it. Colossians 4, verse 3, praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up to us a door for the word, that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Boldness and clarity. This is evangelism. Pray that I'm bold. Pray that I'm clear. It's good and it's natural for us to ask prayer for, from other believers. 
Paul did, but he was very specific. That request of each other shows our spiritual instinct to seek guidance and enablement from God and to ask others for help in it. It demonstrates our dependence on each other as well. I think Paul certainly understood this. Paul certainly believed this. But it's striking and convicting to hear his prayer request (laughs) considering he's in jail, his circumstances. Read the verse backwards. I am, verse 20, I am an ambassador in chains. So pray that I'm clear in the utterance of the gospel. If it were you or me, I think we might be inclined to say, I have been unjustly and unfairly and unrighteously imprisoned. Please, Ephesians, Colossians, pray for my release. Pray that God relieves my suffering and changes my circumstances. Not Paul. Can I ask a, a hard question for all of us? Do you hear yourself praying more for changes in your circumstances than you do hearing yourself pray for faithfulness in every circumstance? Oh, it doesn't mean we don't pray for a change in circumstances. That's that's part of praying everything. And Paul likely prayed for release at some point. But he prayed that while he was in unwelcome and unjust, unfair, undesirable circumstances, that he would be faithful. Paul wanted divine enablement to proclaim the gospel. Don't miss the fact, too. He is praying to be faithful and bold in the very thing that caused him to be in prison. Lord, I'm in prison for the gospel. Help me be more faithful in prison with the gospel. It's amazing. He says, the mystery, which was the inclusion of Gentiles and Jews in the same body, the mystery of the gospel. That, we studied that in detail earlier in the epistle. It's a big deal. And why would he pray for boldness? Because it's tough to tell the Jews who hated the Gentiles and the Gentiles who hated the Jews, love each other and be in the same church. He would get pushback. That was an easy thing to shriek back from. And he said, pray that I'm bold in telling the mystery of the unity of God in Christ in every tribe and kindred and tongue being put together in the gospel in the church. He understood that this was humanly impossible and relationally challenging, but he asked for divine enablement to pray that he would be faithful to the task that God had given him to be a proclaimer of the gospel, the mystery of the gospel. Paul faced what we would consider impossibilities, But instead of giving up, he prayed. Number six, pray audaciously. Last phrase in verse 20, that in this proclamation that I prayed for, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to, as I ought to speak. 
Paul asked for prayer that he would speak clearly in Colossians and boldly here in Ephesians. That's praying with audacity. Luther said, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but it's laying hold of God's willingness. I love that. And notice this whole subject, that these two subjects we talked about at the very beginning. Paul weaves together prayer and evangelism symbiotically, uniquely in a, in a one-to-one relationship. There's nothing greater you and I can ever pray than this, that God would save the soul of a sinner forever. There is no greater prayer. And Paul said, pray that I'm faithful to the sharing and proclamation of the gospel so that sinners will be saved. A lack of prayer comes down to a few basic problems. Self-dependence, a lack of understanding our need for God, a lack of belief in God's power that it can be requested, A lack of evangelism points to a disbelief or an undervaluing of the greatness of heaven and the horrors of hell. It's perspective which is all primed by that alertness that Paul tells us to keep in mind. Be aware, be alert, think about these things, be deliberate, be intentional. So Paul is telling us that believers need to be in constant prayer, in a constant state of prayer, in a constant consciousness of prayer, because we don't know when the attacks of the enemy will come. We should be praying before and during the attack, not after we see it starting for the first time. Now, prayer is a learned behavior. We've studied that many times. Our elders have recommended a book, I think it's next quarter or the quarter after that. One of the books that we've recommended is Don Carson's praying with Paul. What this is, is he goes through all of Paul's prayers in the New Testament and says, what do we learn about how to pray from what Paul prayed? And if you read Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1 or Colossians 1, you kind of look at your own prayers and say, that doesn't sound like what I was praying this morning. But he really principalizes, so we're going to encourage you to read this book. Can I give you a head start? This is what he says in in his introduction. Have not many of us tried at one point or another to improve our praying and floundered so badly that we became discouraged more than ever? Do you not sense with me the severity of the problem? Granted that most of us know some individuals who are remarkable prayer warriors. Prayer warriors. It is not nevertheless true that by and large we are better at organizing than agonizing. Better at administrating than interceding. Better at fellowship than fasting. Better at entertainment than worship. Better at theological articulation than spiritual adoration. Then he says this, Better, God help us, at preaching than praying. What's wrong, Carson asks. Is not this sad state of affairs some sort of index of our knowledge of God? Shall we not agree with J.I. Packer when he writes, I believe that prayer is the measure of the man, spiritually, in a way that nothing else is, so that how we pray is as important a question as we can ever face. 
Can we profitably meet the other challenges that confront the Western church if prayer is ignored as much as it has been? Do not the words of James resonate with us? Quote, this is James chapter 4. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. Prayer has to be learned. But at the same time, prayer can be uttered. Heaven can be accessed without a lot of degrees, without any degrees. I'm sure you're aware that the only record we have of the 12 disciples making a request of Jesus for instruction is when they said, Lord, teach us to pray. There's a lot in that simple request. Why would they ask him that? The only thing we can deduce is they must have heard Jesus pray so many ways and so many times differently than them. And they just said eventually, Lord, teach us to do what you're doing. Teach us to pray. They acknowledged that they needed to grow in their prayer, prayers and praying, and I think we would do well to do the same. Of all the disciplines and delights in the Christian life, prayer rises to the top with respect to requiring faith. When we pray, we have to resist the urge that we are pretending to talk to someone who might be there and talk to our ever-present God. So what do we take away? Prayer should be organized. If you're going to pray for people, if you're going to pray consistently, if you're going to pray without ceasing, if you're going to pray at all times, if you're going to pray with alertness, do you have a way of capturing and cataloging the requests of the saints around you and even the desires and aspirations of your own heart. Also, prayer should be regular or incessant. Yes, we should have regular times of prayer. Yes, we should have a time when we say, Jesus' name, amen, and we're closed in that prayer. But it also ought to be an open conversation. Prayer should be detailed. Paul was detailed. It was exact. It's, it's okay when the four-year-old says, Lord, we pray for all the missionaries in the world. It's better when the seven-year-old says, Mom, I heard you praying for the Molokas in Italy that they would have specific uh, uh, fruit and traction with the Jehovah's Witnesses who they're witnessing to because I just read that in the prayer letter last week. Prayer should be far-reaching, beyond our immediate world, and ultimately, it should be soulish. There is no greater prayer than to ask God to save a soul from eternal hell by the hope of eternal heaven. So if you want to stop praying the same old things about the same old things, then join me in learning from biblical prayers, from Paul's prayers, so we pray better, we pray more, we pray more satisfying, and pray more faithfully. Evangelism? 
in prayer. Paul says, yeah, I can take care of those in three verses. It's going to take us more than three verses to apply them, though. So let's take those as our encouragement to move into a greater boldness and clarity in evangelism and faithfulness in prayer.